huge Kaaba nest on it, this, these night wasps. And so these things start swarming us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I know. I feel I feel more stable after having done that. <laughs> right, right. You already need the patch anymore. You can be very happy in the fact that that Mako shark is thinking about catching a Dave. Yeah, that's so right. you know, <laughs> I like that dynamic. What's the funniest thing you've experienced on a fly fishing trip? Yeah, I was trying to think through a lot of different trips, and I think. Uh, the first one that came to mind was uh, going to Alaska the first time. I was with my friend Bear, uh, and if you this is I'm, I'm not going to tell that whole story, but if you ever travel with a guy named Bear and you go to Alaska, just when you when you find the the grayling that you're looking for and he's on another trail, don't start <laughs> yelling his name because because his name's Bear. It's it freaks other people out, and uh, you know, but but uh, honestly, the hardest I ever laughed. I, I mean, and. I was just absolutely, I, I could not get oxygen. First time I, I went down to the Amazon to shoot photos and we went out at night. It's a peacock bass trip with nomadic waters. We went out one night with a few guides to try to grab caiman, like uh, alligator, you know, kind of, kind of lizard or, or reptile. Seems reasonable. Yeah. And you know, you, you try to grab maybe a two or three footer. My biggest that I've ever actually successfully grabbed is like a four footer. Um, I've missed twice on a five footer because my hand's not big enough. There are these things called wa night wasps. And it's like one of those nightmare insects that, uh, I mean, if you get stung by one, you're, <laughs> you're never going to forget it. And so right. we're all wearing headlamps and it's the kind where you go on strobe, uh, or I'm sorry, bright, low strobe off. And so if you get into a panic situation where you've got to get these things off, you're not going to get them turned <laughs> off. And so, so, so what happens is we, we take the boat, you know, we're, we're spotlighting these Cayman. We see some eyeballs that look like they're about the right size. We ram the boat into the bank to try to just, you know, get on top of the thing quick and grab it, get a few pictures, put it back in the water. Well, we accidentally rammed uh, a, a log that had a huge Kaaba <laughs> nest on it, this, these night wasps. And so these things start swarming us and they're coming towards the lights. And so the guides are yelling, lights off, lights off. And so everybody on the boat, it's like six people on the boat. We're all going, you know, from, from bright <laughs> to low, to strobe, to off, to back to bright, <laughs> you know, you're passing it. Yeah. And so it's like this huge strobe light because everybody's cycling through. And so one of the, one of the guys already had Connor Jones, who were, it was, he was a manager at Cahutta fishing company in, in Georgia for a long time. Uh, he, he already had a Cayman in his hand and he's waving, <laughs> he's swatting at, at these night wasps with a Kaaba, I mean, with a Cayman. But all I'm seeing, it was like the scene from Saturday Night Fever where John Travolta's, you know, doing the little dance and the strobe light and you're only seeing like uh, 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 that number. And so, and so we're getting, we're all getting lit up and stung and these things are throbbing for hours, but we're all laughing oh, so hard gosh. because of the mixture of pain and chaos. So that's, that's probably my most memorable, you know, when I think of like, just absolute ridiculous situations. Uh, that was one that I hope to never be in again, but I'm kind of glad I was in that one. Oh my gosh, that's terrible and funny all at the same time. <laughs> well, let's see if I can finish this next part in 15 seconds. Here we go. Uh, from high atop the world headquarters of Southeastern Fly, this is the Southeastern Fly podcast. Thanks for stopping by and giving us a listen. Feel free to share this with your friends and fishing partners. Subscribe or follow so you'll be the first to know when an episode drops. Remember, we have the 
podcast by Southeastern Fly Facebook group. They help us with our direction and the questions we ask in these episodes, and they have some questions that are in this in this particular episode as well. If you find value in the podcast, please drop by the Southeastern Fly store at southeasternfly.com. Explore the merch that fuels the Southeastern Fly podcast. We've got hats and t-shirts and hoodies. We've got some new winter gear, and that's what supports this podcast. Also, if you need additional information on fly fishing techniques, flies, fly tying gear, waters, etc., we've we've got fly fishing coaching sessions as well. So who's our guest today? He's a full-time outdoor photographer. You can see his work in ads and publications such as Cabela's, Bass Pro, Southern Living, The Fly Fish Journal, Winston Rods, Strung Magazine, Gray Sporting Journal, and Tail Fly Fishing Magazine. He travels extensively throughout the year with his work. He was a guest on po- uh, episode number seven of the Southeastern Fly Podcast. Let's welcome David Cannon. David, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for having me back, David. Such a good, so good to see you. And I'm going to give up a, a little bit of information on David here that you're in South Dakota this evening. Yeah. Is that we're, right? Yeah, we're at uh, R&R. Uh, pheasant hunting it's a, it is a just a beautiful awesome part of the country huge beautiful pheasants uh, i think it's like twenty three thousand acre ranch that we're on mm, um okay pretty pretty awesome place and are you you're working yeah i'm actually shooting for cabela's and, and bass pro up here okay all right can you bring me back some real nice pheasant tails not that pheasant tails work because we all know those don't those flies don't work no they, yeah th- nobody's ever caught a fish no. on one of those yeah i don't i don't think so i don't believe they have <laughs> this particular episode is about traveling and we've really we've we've got a little bit of a, a surprise here about maybe here in a couple minutes we're going to bring in somebody else that i think everybody will be interested in david i've been pretty lucky to travel within the continental united states uh, both by plane and by car, with boats and without boats. I've carried too much gear and cl- too much clothing every time I've been. So my motto is, if there's a place to pack something, pack something in that place. Mm-hmm. So I'm a terrible role model for anybody out there that wants to travel light or not fill every pocket of every backpack and every duffel bag. Yeah, I carry too much stuff. The interesting thing is, is I have a backpack that I carry on the plane if i'm traveling by plane sometimes i'll carry my rods in the backpack sometimes i'll put it in my duffel bag and it's a big green orvis duffel bag i don't know how many times i've been standing uh at the baggage claim and somebody said hey i believe that's mine thinking that they're going to get a whole bunch of good stuff mostly it's clothes (laughs) or waiters and stuff yeah but if anybody ever tries to, it takes two hands to lift the thing up it's so we get on southwest you know they've got that 50 pound max yep and we, tr- we traveled as a family one time, and I told my Delaney, my daughter, I said, don't pack everything in that suitcase that you can because you're going to be over. Well, whenever I took them out of the truck, I threw mine down on the ground. I grabbed hers, and hers felt heavier than mine did. Yeah. So as I when we got up to, to weigh them, mine was 51 pounds, and hers was 48 pounds. Oh, man. So we had to take a little bit out of mine and put it yeah. in hers and do some jockeying around, but... Yeah, we still laugh about that to this day, but I'm sure that's one she's 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 kept in her memory. Oh yeah, yeah, she's not she's not shy about bringing stuff like that up either and and I guess she is her father's daughter. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, what is your thought process and and actual packing process uh for packing gear and clothes and when traveling by plane and by rental car? Yeah, gosh, you know, it's so different for every trip and for every destination, weather, climate, uh, you know, the activities you're going to be doing and all that. Um, I think, I think I would boil it down to this though. I think just a, a typical human trait 
is we've got a little bit or, or some level. I think almost everybody has some level of fear of the unknown. Mm. And so, it, you know, it could be subtle for some people. It could be so extreme for some people that they don't go travel, but I think everybody's got it. And I think uh, one of the ways that we kind of cope with that is we pack as much comfort as we can into that suitcase. And so I think you can, I, like you can alleviate that by just simply talking to, you know, if you're going to stay at a lodge or you're going to, uh, you know, stay at a hotel, but you're going to be hosted by an outfitter or a guide for three or four days or a week or whatever, talk to that guide, like make sure you get some time on the phone with them. Talk to that lodge owner and say, all right, what do I really need to bring? And then the other question I would ask them, well, first of all, what do I really need to bring? And then, and then actually take their advice because they've been there. <laughs> they've been there more than you, right? Rule number one is listen to your guy. And that applies to packing too. Yeah. But then after that, you know, just also ask them, what do they have there that you could use that you don't have to bring, that you don't have to pack? And that simplifies things so much. Uh, you know, if you're going to fish stripers in Boston or you're going to go fish tarpon down in the Keys or, you know, something like that, um, most guys don't have a 10 weight or a 12 weight. Right. And, and if you don't want to have that excuse or, you, you know, you want to just kind of keep the expenses to, you know, just to travel, um, you know, you might be able to use some of the guide stuff or the outfitter might be able to rent you, uh, you know, a couple of outfits or something like that. And to me, that's almost always worth that little bit of extra money just to save, save the hassle and save having to buy all that extra stuff. If you don't want to do that right then. I don't have a tarpon rod. I've got several 10 weights for muskie and striper and that sort of thing, but I can't bring myself to buy a 12 weight yeah just because i'd use it once a year maybe and i that's not to say that i've used every rod in the arsenal but you know if you're not going to do it several times a year maybe it is better to use the, the guide stuff and they know their equipment too and yeah. i think that's helpful yeah so i mean i, I think that's kind of overall the my mentality now is just keeping it as simple as what it, what do what do the people who live there and do this every day say that i really need to bring but you're still going to be fighting that temptation most people to, well, you know, I do kind of like this, like these uh, real comfy pajama pants that weigh a bunch or, you know, I don't know what the thing is, but packing more stuff than you need to pack. Yeah, I'm I am not kidding. I am terrible at doing that. Like. This is a this is kind of a funny story, but it, it also ties into where we are sitting right here right now. Um, around town, I would see I would take you know wife and daughter out to eat i'd see somebody i know we'd go to church i'd see somebody i know we'd we'd go uh to target walmart i'd see somebody i know because it, it's not a big town murfreesboro's not a huge town yeah my daughter kept saying you know we everywhere we go you see somebody you know i'm like yeah and don't you forget that either because if you're doing something you shouldn't be it's, i'm going to get a report back yep. and that worked for a lot <laughs> of years too but we went to chicago on uh, my wife had a work trip and we just Delaney and I just tagged along uh, just for for three days, and we, we ate at all the nice restaurants, and we went up into all the tall buildings, and we walked along Lake Michigan, and we got to the airport. We were sitting there waiting on the plane, and she said, you know what, Dad? You haven't seen one person up here that you know. And I said, you know what? You're right. I said, it's one of the few trips that I don't just run into somebody I know, even even traveling to, to faraway places, you know, like on vacation or something like that. Yeah. That's a mountain California or something. So while we were sitting there and the plane gets there, I get on the plane, I'm sitting on the aisle seat. She's sitting between me and my wife and I hear David. 
<laughs> and I look up, and it's my doctor. And I was like, hey, what's going on? And he said, oh, not much. I'm up here you know, for a wedding or whatever. And I just looked at Delaney like, uh-huh. There it is. <laughs> I, I, there it is, right. It finally came along. And you're kind of in the same situation today. You were telling me earlier, whenever you got on the in the truck, which is a, a story that you should tell as well, but when you got in the truck, you ran into somebody that, that fly fishes. Yeah. And then whenever we talked the other night, you're like, hey, you, you ought to talk to this guy. So tell us what happened there, and then we'll, enter, then we'll bring him in. Yeah, so uh, I'd, I'd gotten a text from the lodge owner here, and they said, uh, you know, it's just South Dakota is not the most populated place. It's not exactly Atlanta. Uh, and this story, this story will evidence that. They said, you know, once you get to the airport, this is in uh, South Dakota, there's going to be a black Escalade in the parking lot. And I was thinking, okay, that's, I'll go take my stuff in there and get in with whoever's driving. But then it said, the key is in the gas tank. <laughs> Maybe you should edit out what airport I just said because yeah. somebody's going to listen to this and go steal that Escalade because it might yeah, sit right. there, it might sit there more than just this trip. So I was like, okay. So I went and I went and got it. And I'm driving a few guys who were going to hunt at this lodge, and uh, this guy Frank is sitting next to me, and so we're talking about stuff. We start talking fishing. He said, "Do you do you indicator fish much?" And I said, "Yeah." I said, "You know, I, I probably my favorite for for trout is like you know." dry dropper or maybe streamer fishing, but yeah, you know, I indicator fish a lot. He goes, have you heard of airlock? And I was like, yeah, of course. That's, that's what I use. Like used to use thingamabobber a whole bunch, but you know, since airlock came out, that's what people say. Now, most people don't even say strike indicator anymore. They say, Hey, I need to, you know, can you toss me an airlock? You know, it's like, it's got that kind of brand recognition. So he goes, yeah, you know, I, I hold the patent on it and stuff. And I was like, wait a second, you invented airlock. And so, you know, (laughs) it's just, it's just kind of funny. So, you know, we're kind of fast friends that and his wife's name is Anjali, which is a Hindi name. And that's also my oldest daughter's middle name. So we had, you know, we had some kind of interesting little connections there. So uh, really, really cool guy. So yeah, I, I was excited to be able to introduce him to you. I want to get him in on another episode on, on, on indicator fishing, I guess, or something like that anyway, but yeah, let's pull him into the conversation. Frank Rosenblum, inventor of airlock indicators, holds the patent on those. Frank, thanks for stopping by. Thank you for having me. It's great to see you. Yeah, you too. Uh, I, you need to be a little more careful about who you hang out with on these. Oh, I know. I, Wait I, a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Yeah, bad influences. Yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. He may drive the Escalade home, just so you know. No, so I'm, what I'm going to do on that too. What I'm going to do is take him to Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> Frank doesn't know this side of my life. So. He does, no, he, <laughs> you need to get to know the Walmart yarn yarns. His his Walmart okay. stories are absolutely priceless. Yeah, anybody that's not <laughs> not friends with David on uh, Facebook, you're really missing out uh, on on some really good writing. So, hey, Frank, I think what we're going to do is uh, bring you in on this next question that came from the podcast group. So we've got a podcast group, and they pretty much drive this whole thing for us uh, as far as where these questions go. What David Perry looks for, and I enjoy it, are the lodges. I enjoy clean beds, great food, good hospitality. What are the some of the things that you look for when you're selecting a lodge? What I basically look for, I do want to be comfortable. I mean, I don't want to be in a kind of a flea bitten, you know, type of, you know, bed bugs and things of that sort. So it's got to be number one. It's got to be a place that has a reputation for cleanliness. You know, it's that's important to me. I usually travel with my wife um, now that we're you know older and the kids are older and out of the house, and so she uh, requires a certain level of of cleanliness and, 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 uh, you know, comfort. She doesn't want to sleep in a tent or, you know, some, 
you know, some terrible place. The other thing is it's, that's really important is the amenities that are available. So if I'm off fishing, she doesn't fish quite as much as I do. Um, you know, there should be something for her to do. I mean, it's, you know, people to interact with or, or, you know, something that's in the area, but, but the most important thing is a reputation for, uh, what they do, you know, the guide service there, uh, how the, how, you know, the, the place has to be where there's good fishing, where the, you know, naturally there's good fishing and, uh, the helpfulness of the staff, you know, when you call up and you talk to people and you want to, uh, you know, you want to, re- uh, go there and they're, how are, how, uh, friendly and accommodating are they over the phone when you talk oh, to yeah. them? And that's, I think, really important. I think the, the personal interaction with people is the most important thing. And so those are some of the things I look for. Of course, you you want to get, you know, if you want to go fish in the North Platte or the Missouri, you want to go where the where the fishing is good. And that's first and foremost. But certainly the lodge, the, the physical accommodations, the, the other things to do in the area. And the third thing is the, the people. That's a great point. If I can interject on that for a second, because I think, uh, you know, to draw a parallel like to your world, David, you know, we all know guides who became fishing guides because they love fishing and not necessarily because they love people. And like, you know, it's clear, it's clear that you love people. And so you're in the right job. It's the same thing in the hospitality industry. You can, there's a lot of lodges out there that have great hospitality. They really like, it's their, it's kind of their heartbeat to want to serve people, but there are, unfortunately, like anything else, there are lodges out there who they got into it because they love fishing or they love hunting or whatever they're drawing people in to do, but, but they don't love hospitality. And so that's a, what, what Frank just said. That's a great point because if you get on the phone with them, any lodge that is even halfway booked is going to be busier than any of us would ever want it because there's always a million things that they got to do to keep things moving and keep things as they should be. But even with all that pressure and all that all the demands and all the work that has to be done, if they're not willing to be hospitable with you and take a few minutes with you, you know, right. a reasonable amount of time with you. That's a red flag, you know, and, and that should be considered when you're making your decisions. I've got a, I've got a friend that is a owner manager of a restaurant and we were talking more in passing than anything uh, as far as he was concerned. But I was telling him that, you know, your next step ought to be a lodge somewhere. He really, he has that. Mm-hmm. He has what exactly what you just said. He can keep things moving, <laughs> but at the same time, he's casual. You can't like the old story about the duck. You know, calm on top, paddling like crazy on bottom. Yeah, he's that. Yeah, he's that in the restaurant business. And I think I think he would be outstanding in a lodge. But I don't know that he's quite ready to take that jump yet. But I see that in what you described. I see that in Jeff. Those places are treasures. Like I think about Venice Fishing Lodge yeah. in Venice, Louisiana. Captain Billy Nicholas, who owns that place, he's a guy. He comes out and hangs out with the guests. He's been. He was the first one up. Yeah, that's that's really important. It, it is. Yeah. It, it makes yeah, it, it is, makes such it? a difference yeah. for the guests because they get to have the fishing experience. They get to know their guide, all that stuff. But then they also get to hang with the lodge owner who has fished with you know all these legendary people and celebrities and all this stuff. And he's taking time with them and listening to their stories and getting to know them. And that that becomes a lifelong memory. Lodge owners who don't do that, they're they're not building that into their brand, and they're not adding that extra little just cool piece to the experience for their, yeah. for their guests. You know, I think, let me uh, just mention something. I, I think that for most of us, I mean, I think there are people who might disagree that I'm human, but I am a human being. <laughs> and the, the most, the, we won't, we won't get my wife involved in this, but the, the most important thing that I, that I, in my life is my interactions with other people. Now I, I love fishing and I love fish, but I have never had a good conversation with a fish. And so the, the, the thing is that I like to go fishing where I'm going to interact with people at a level that makes me very comfortable and happy. And in that 
kind of milieu, I can, I, I have a good time fishing. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons why I rarely go fishing all by myself. I go fishing with a good friend. I want to interact with people. So yes. I think we all desire that, that level of interaction and that comfort and that friendship uh, and camaraderie. Yeah. And if we don't get that, it's not a fun place. Even if the fishing is great and you're, 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 you're hooking monsters, it, you, if you're not happy with where you're staying, it, it just doesn't make it. Yeah. And, and, and on the, like on the flip side of that coin, if the fishing's terrible and the weather's a mess and you can't get out as much as you want and you're stuck at the lodge, yep. if it's a great place and if the people there are like-minded people who are there to have a good time and enjoy one another, it'll still be a good experience. And some, sure, uh, you know, lots yep. of diehard anglers might hear that having never experienced it and think, well, nah, I couldn't, that's not what I'm going there for. That's true. And we all have that mindset, but man, it can save a trip if you're there with some fun, interesting people. I, I mean, I know lots of people who have had those experiences and then they, they meet on a trip like that and travel together, you know, after having met once and got trapped in a lodge, you know, in bad weather for a few days. And so that, man, that's a gift, you know, it really is. I, I went to Louisiana and stayed at uh, woodland and we came in late 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 one night and they accommodated us by fixing dinner for us well after everybody was done but while we were waiting on our dinner to be made you know the i went up to the bar and the owner was there and he was like hey you want some oysters well i don't you know i've never turned that down ever in my life oh yeah he would shuck him an oyster he would shuck me an oyster and we just sat there probably 30 minutes yeah and just talk. I mean, that was six years ago. I still talk about that. Right. You know, that still comes up to, you know, we had good conversation. And it, it didn't have to be four hours. Oh, no, no. You you know what what his timeline looks like and the pressure they have. And to take 30 minutes yeah. with you and do that, that's a big deal. Yeah, it really is. And it was, it was and the conversation was great. And then the food down there is always outstanding. Oh, too, yeah. So. Yeah. David, what do you think the first time angler might not think about when they select a lodge? There's a lot of things. One thing that I think really needs to be considered is, are they reputable? And that sounds like the most obvious thing in the world, but you really need to do your homework on that. Um, and I would say, if you see the best deal out there financially, it might be the most reputable place. There's a chance it might not be. Um, I've heard horror stories. Fortunately, I've never, I've never experienced this personally, but I've heard horror stories of people flying to Alaska to King Salmon Fish at uh, quote unquote deluxe uh, tent accommodations. Like it's supposed to be a nice kind of, you know, glamping sort of deal. King, uh, King Salmon fishing on this beautiful river. And they get there and it's like a moldy old Coleman dome tent with, you know, little, little air mattresses that have been chewed up by rats and won't even hold air. And all they have to eat is hopefully whatever salmon they catch. Uh, not the Kings, but other stuff. And, um, and you know, like some, some ramen noodles. I'm not joking. Really? Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, they got, uh, they had a friend who five or six years ago had gone to this place. They said it was a great experience. Well, things can go downhill when you're in that world. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, these people had just dropped their service. And so really do your homework. And I would say, especially if you're budget conscious, which a lot of people are, if it's, you know, X amount of dollars to do this trip and it's with a group that you're not a hundred percent sure about if you had if you got to save up for another six months to go with the reputable group save up for another six months and go with a reputable group because that's the difference in you getting something good out of your money or just taking a big risk for me time is too valuable to waste with something like that and money's too valuable to waste with a risk when there are so many reputable groups out there that should be getting our business you want value exactly exactly yes, yes. and and for everybody that that doesn't mean that it's got to be five star and that doesn't mean it has to be 
the absolute honey hole of a certain region of the world. You know, for some people, it's just, Hey, I just want to like, you know, I just want to go out West or whatever it is, you know, but yeah, yeah, exactly. Frank, just getting that value. If you get that gut feeling that something's off, trust your gut. Yes. It may be perfectly fine for David or David or Frank, but it's something, if you get that feeling that something just isn't right for you, it probably isn't right for you for whatever reason. And that re reason is probably very valid. Yeah for you. And, and you don't want to be thinking back to, man, I remember when I had that feeling and I, I should have listened right. to it. Yeah. I've had that. I've had that feeling before and, and look back and had that, uh, wish I would have listened to what my gut was telling me, but yep. you know, and then you have to, then you kind of have to make up your own excuse as to why you didn't. But <laughs> in the end, you know, I should have listened to what I was being told there. So that's right. So let's move on here. That was a good answers right there and, and good conversation about lodges and that sort of thing. But let's move on to items here. Let's talk about some of the gear, but let's let's kind of look at it from a, a little bit different point of view. We're, let's each take one thing here. What is the one of the most important items to remember when you're traveling? And I think I'll go first if that's all right with y'all. Yeah. I think the most important items to remember when you're traveling is is not really an item per se. It is in a way. It's make sure whoever you're traveling with, you like them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because if you don't, it makes for a long week or a long few days. Yeah. The, the, especially if it's just you and one other person. Sometimes that's a little easier than a group anyway. But David said, yeah, like he's, he's, he knows what I'm talking <laughs> about there, but. <laughs> but make sure that you, you know, make sure that it's somebody that you're like, yeah, that's good. I, I think this will be a good trip. And I've got a lot of friends that way. Uh, I'm very fortunate to have some good friends that I like to travel with yeah. and like to fish with and that sort of thing. But David, let's go to you. Let's go to you on this one, on the next one. What, what uh, is one of the most important items to remember when you're traveling? Uh, so, yeah, I guess mine's going to be kind of weird too, because it depends on where it is, but if it's somewhere where I'm going to be even a little bit offshore and there's some waves, I have the just wussiest stomach of all time. <laughs> and I have, I have thrown up in front of clients on photo shoots. I've basically, I've just thrown up a whole bunch. Anytime it's like more than a three inch wave, I'm going to throw up. So that, that seasick patch, uh, if you're going, oh, yeah. even if, uh, for me, even if you're going, you know, if you're going tarpon fishing and you're just out kind of just past the breakers, uh, I yeah. still can get kind of weird feeling even when I see land that close, but those little seasick patches are a miracle. Um, they're like, you know, 20 bucks for three of them or something. You got to get a prescription, but that's a game changer for me. But this is the biggest thing when you're traveling, I think it doesn't matter where you're going. Uh, you know, your body can do weird things because you're, you have a little bit of stress or maybe a little bit of anxiety. You don't realize you're, you're having, cause you're in a new place drinking water. I know it sounds, uh, way overly, overly simple, but when you're on that plane going to wherever you're going, you know, if you're flying, that plane is drying you out like crazy. And so my, my policy is I'll have one, like a ginger ale or something, but I'm chugging water the rest of the trip. Every time the, you know, the flight attendant goes by, I'm asking for more water. And then one good side effect, or really for me, it's the only side effect of that seasick patch is it gives you a little dry mouth, which yeah. is okay with me. Cause that just means I'm drinking water all day. For me, that alleviates a lot of those issues that you have. It helps you avoid having headaches or not being able to sleep that well, or some of the things that come with travel to new places. And again, going back to Frank's word, that value, you don't want to miss a day on that trip, or, or you don't want to miss a half a day 
on that trip because you had a migraine or something. Make sure you got something, you know, take, take your water bottle or whatever, keep it full and keep emptying it by chugging it all day. Do you use that patch behind your ear? Or yeah. Yeah. That's it. And you, you, you put it on. If you're, if you're going to be out on a boat for three days, you put it on the night before yeah. you sleep in it and it's constantly giving you medicine for three full days. You shower with it. You don't even know yeah, it's yep. there. It's, it's awesome. It's called scope. It's called scopolamine. Yeah. yeah. And as a doc, I mean, I think that's great advice, by the way. Thanks. Well, you know, I'm, I stayed at a holiday Inn once. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's an old dad joke. That's like 10 years old now. <laughs> I that know. Really that's, is. that's shameful. That is. I was going to say when he's not taking photographs, he's seeing patients. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can, I can, uh, what's it called? Yeah. WebMD stuff. That's all Frank does. Right, right. That's right. Yeah. yeah I don't know right. if you don't need a license. Yeah. You don't need a real medical license. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, Frank, Frank, what do you think about that? What's one of the most important things to remember when you're traveling? Well, I think probably David, yeah, I think David uh, hit it on the head with the uh, scopolamine. And, and of course, as a physician, I often, I, I often forget that, which is really <laughs> kind of embarrassing because I've been in situations where I really shouldn't have forgotten that and there's no excuse. Years ago, I used to mountain climb. I was the doctor on mountain climbs and I'd take like a ton of medical stuff and you know, then after, after getting away from that, I, I developed a weight to strength ratio as opposed to strength to weight ratio. So, um, I stopped doing that, but I, and I basically didn't, uh, stop bringing a medical kit with me wherever I go, but that was great advice. The other two things I always uh, have with me is a, is a flashlight or headlamp and my Leatherman, because I never know when I'm out, whether I got to do a little fix it job. And my son got me this really nice Leatherman that does everything except row the boat and cook dinner. And it's, uh, it's really nice. And so I take that with me wherever I go and, and a flashlight. All the time, that is great to have a, a light with you. How many times have you been traveling, get ready to get in the rental car, and you're standing in the parking lot somewhere? You're like, oh, I got to have something. And you're, I can't see anything. So you get your phone out and try to find it that way. A flashlight's a great idea. Yeah. That's a really yeah. good one. And a Leatherman, I think. Everybody needs a knife somewhere close uh, mm. or pliers or a screwdriver or something. There's always something that can need attention when you're out doesn't it yeah. seems like no matter how well i pack something something needs a little bit of attention while i'm out there yeah. so. and if i have to do a quick surgical procedure the leatherman will do you know right right yeah yeah it's got the saw and the- david was saying just the same thing just the other yeah. day too yeah that he's yeah oh yeah <laughs> I've, I've done a lobotomy with a leatherman yeah sometimes you have to. right right yeah it, it was amazing yeah. you could do it on your do it on yourself yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> i know i feel i feel more stable after having done that. <laughs> right, right. You don't even need the patch anymore. <laughs> yeah, and if, if if you pack the Leatherman, put it in your checked bag. Uh, yes, definitely. I, yes. I, I still have a very painful memory of having to leave my Leatherman with the fine folks <gasps> at TSA. Oh, it's horrible. Yeah, it's horrible. Oh, it's pretty, yeah. pretty stinky. And a good deal of the time, probably probably 80% of the time when we go anywhere for fishing, we actually fly our own plane. So I rarely check myself. I, I just, you know, we just can take pretty much anything on board. I, I pack the, bo- the the cannon and everything, whatever. So it's, it's really <laughs> nice because we don't have to worry about that too much. Have you ever hijacked your own plane? I do it all the time. Oh, that's awesome. I, <laughs> I, you know, I take myself, I take myself hostage and then you have to put, uh, you know, you have to put uh, seven five zero zero in the transponder. That indicates that you've been hijacked, so other people know about. <laughs> it's like an out of body experience. <laughs> Does air traffic control say? Never mind, it's just Frank. <laughs> <laughs> they usually send up some F. Yeah, they scramble. Right. Anytime right. they scramble, scramble some of those, that's the best. <laughs> yeah. 
scramble something big. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's move on here to the to. This looks like the last question. Is it already? It sure is. Dang. It's gone quick. It sure has. Well, this this will slow it down just a little bit. We've we've been through traveling. We've we've hit a couple things: flying, driving, what to take, where to stay, what to look for in lodges. But and I think we've done a pretty good job of of giving our listeners some, something that they can use. Definitely a platform with some basic questions, some basic answers that'll get somebody started. And I guarantee you, somebody's like, "Wow, I didn't think of that," because mm-hmm. I was a couple of different times. That's good information there. But what question haven't we asked David that would be helpful for the traveling angler? I think uh, you know it's always like anytime you gain experience in any area of life you always learn more of the questions that you need to ask to be better and have a better experience or, you know, to be more valuable or whatever. One question I think traveling anglers really need to ask every trip, even if you're a great fly angler, even if you're a great fly caster, even if you have success everywhere else you go, you need to ask your lodge outfitter guide, whoever the perfect angler at this water where I'm going to be fishing with you. Uh, what skill set do they have? Because I can tell you, like, I'm pretty confident in my casting ability. Not like I'm a Steve Ray Jeff or anything like that, but I feel like I can go pretty much anywhere and, and have a decent level of success. But then you go anywhere in the world, it seems like, any type of water. They're going to have different techniques, different approaches that you might not ever use. One example being, if you go fish the Missouri River in Montana and you're, you're drift boat fishing, I don't do a ton of drift boat fishing. And so... You need to be able to uh, reach cast downstream at an angle and to know how to mend. It's a totally different thing. I mend all the time. You know, I mean, I fly fished for 16 or 17 years and man, I felt like, uh, you know, a, a brand new fly angler the first couple hours that I was trying to do this reach cast and then keep mending and feeding this dry fly, keeping it still in some little back eddy, hopefully long enough for some brown trout to be able to get his eyes on it and, and come up and eat it before it starts getting, you know, that drag on it, pulls it down river. So I think that's the question. What skill set do I need? And then figure out how you can practice that and get, even if it's just a little bit proficient at it, uh, that that's, again, that's more quality time that you're buying on that trip instead of having to learn from scratch while you're there. That goes right along with our Tarpon 101 discussion a couple of episodes back. Uh, and, and one of the things that we hit on there in, in a big, big way was be prepared. Mm-hmm. Uh, and since we were talking about Tarpon, we were talking about know how to double haul. Oh, yeah. But knowing how to reach cast from a boat, drift boat, while you're floating down the river and holding that fly like you're talking about in maybe a little back eddy or something and being able, to, being able to mend and feed and do all those things that as a drift boat angler, I can probably do okay. But if I'm not a drift boat angler, then it's all new to me. Mm-hmm. So having that discussion up front and being prepared uh, for, for those things, I think that's really, that's a quality answer right there. I would say the same is is talk to the guide. Make sure that you're able to talk to the guide wherever you're going. Yeah. I've always wanted to shark fish. I've all, I want to do a, I want to do a episode on shark fishing. One reason why I want to do an episode on shark fishing is because I want to go catch some more shark on the fly and be good at it. Yeah, you know, because they pull the right kind of sharks. Pull like you know nothing else. Yeah, so. that's like number one on my list. Is it really the number one thing on my list? I want to catch on the fly that I haven't is uh, mako shark. Like I want to go out and fish with Conway Bowman and you know, wow. that would be yeah. a blast. Yeah. I'd love to do that too. I need to ca- catch a tarpon too, but I would take that mako for sure. Yeah. I, and I'd love to have that picture of the mako, you know, flipping in the background yeah. and all that. Like I would have tarpon, but, and I've caught 
you know, sharks on fly, small ones, yeah. pretty good size ones, spinner sharks, you know, all kinds of stuff that's in the Gulf. But yeah. I, I've never went and said, let's go target sharks, you know, and I think that even even if it wasn't Mako, I think it would be cool just to go out there and do that. Oh, yeah. One of the things I would want to know is what don't I know? What's the question that I don't know? Yeah. You know, to ask, because that's, that's, that's very important. I think that was a good answer, David, really. Thanks. Good. Well, I think this was, this was helpful to, to, for anglers. And I think also that this one kind of bleeds over into people in general who travel too. Uh, even if you're traveling for, if let's say you're traveling for rock climbing or, or, or Frank, you were talking about mo- mountain climbing or triathlons or whatever. I think some of this advice here that could bleed over into those areas too. So yeah, for sure. I think other people can find value in it too. And if you find value in the podcast, please, please drop by the Southeastern Flies store at southeasternfly.com explore that merch that fuels the southeastern fly podcast we've got hats and hoodies and new winter wares available uh, and that's what supports the cost of the podcast if you need additional information on or off the water on fly fishing techniques flies fly tying gear travel that sort of thing we also offer fly fishing coaching sessions thanks to frank rosenbloom for stopping by to join us he's the inventor of the air airlock man i think it's great frank that that uh, you were able to sit in with us uh, on this episode and i really appreciate your answers i think they were they come from a totally every time we get a group together like this everybody's answers come from a little bit more unique view totally different direction a lot of times and i think you you added some value to this for sure and I appreciate you joining us and hopefully you'll join us again. Love to. Thank you. And David, thank you for getting this thing together for us. Uh, Remember, David Cannon is a full-time outdoor photographer. You can see his work in ads and publications such as Cabela's Bass Pro, Southern Living, uh, Flyfish Journal, Winston Rods, Strung Magazine, Gray Sporting Journal, and Tail Fly Fishing. He's an excellent photographer when you need a professional. David, again, thanks for stopping by. Thanks so much, David. You just listened to David Cannon and Frank Rosenblum on the Southeastern Fly Podcast. See you next time. sure felt like it was like 10 minutes i know i did you really did and i was thinking something when you talk about you 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 really think about catching one of those mako sharks yeah yeah you can be very happy in the fact that that mako shark is thinking about catching a day yeah so you know (laughs) i like that dynamic that's pretty awesome (laughs) there's not many like true he's probably like a rainbow wants nothing to do with me right exactly it's not thinking it's going to take you but 
a Mako shark is thinking, you know, right now they're thinking, I, I wonder when some nice photographer is going to fish for me and I can grab them and take them down. <laughs> take a big chunk out. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, right. That's exciting. What do you do if you, you get one on close to the boat? Cause they, you know, I've, I've seen like Conway Bowman casting not very far from the boat yeah. and hook them in and they always seem to run away. Oh yeah. What if they didn't and they started jumping? And they ended up in the boat. You can't jump out. At that point, you just find a gun and, and end yourself because you don't want it because you don't want to deal with that. <laughs> yeah. You, you can't jump in the water because there's other ones out right, there. Right. Yeah. You really can't stay in the boat because he's in there flopping around and probably would break your, if it's a good size, would probably break your leg or something if, if he didn't bite you. No, the, at that point, you just, you just uh, tackle the tail. And bear hug the tail for dear life. Doesn't sound really good. No, but there's no, I don't think there's a good option. Yeah, true. That's, I haven't run into a good option yet. You're probably right. Just go ahead and take the bite and get it over with. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to know what, I want to know what kind of fly you use for caiman. <laughs> you can, you can catch a caiman on the fly rod. Uh, and you really, yeah, if you throw like a big popper, they'll follow it all the way into the boat. Will they really? Yeah. Wow. I mean, just like. You know, just like a gator in South Georgia or in Florida does. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Except these these things are more aggressive. They'll follow it to the boat with four guys standing up. I don't know what they think that is. Like from their perspective, think they're looking at a boat, like an 18-foot bass boat with four creatures, six feet tall, standing up looking at it. They swim right to it. And when they can't get that popper in its mouth, I've, I've had them where they'll turn and nail the boat with their tail, like smack it. <laughs> Like they're just the most fearless, wow. crazy things, you know. I guess a la Mako shark. I'm not. I'm not kidding. I really do yeah. want that picture of of you with a cane, holding a cane. Yeah, I've, I've actually got it on my phone, so I'll I'll send it to you. 